Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. It's your host, Roger Abel, joined by Elias Randall. Elias, how are you this morning? I'm feeling very bearish right now, Roger. That's how I'm doing. The wor- if you were to just watch the news, the world is crumbling in front of us. <clears throat> yeah, It's all bad, and it's going to be bad until it's great again. That's right. First time I've gotten multiple phone calls from clients was this morning about what I thought about the market. Yeah, and what, okay, what did you, what you know, did you tell them? What are your thoughts? I have some too that I'd like to share, but. Well, I mean, my thoughts are things in the market today aren't good. We have a lot of different things that are going against the market, but the biggest rate increase since 2000, the Fed came out last week. I just saw this morning mortgage rates hit 5.65%, which I started thinking about. When was the last time I saw a mortgage rate of 5.65? It's when I took my first mortgage in 2002. Took my first mortgage. I got an adjustable rate mortgage. 20 years ago then. Yeah, 20 years ago. Adjustable rate mortgage because I didn't qualify for a 30-year fixed. It was adjustable rate, five-year arm, 5.75%. And at that time, that was a good rate. I've never seen a five plus handle on a mortgage rate before. One thing people don't know about what's going on and I think is leading some of this downward trajectory in the market, China right now has their worst COVID outbreak since March of 2020. Most people wouldn't know that, partly because in America, for lack of better terms, we all kind of think it's over. I mean, yeah, there's some mass stuff, but I'll give you a great example. Practically, it's over for everyone. I mean, really, people aren't wearing masks. People are going out. It's basically over. From a doesn't mean yeah. it's over, but from a practical use standpoint, yes. And here's here's the number one reason I say that. My entire family got sick a week and a half ago. We all had the like eight to twelve hour bug, and we were tired afterwards. And I'm like, well, maybe I should test for COVID, but it wasn't our first thought. Our first thought was, oh yeah, we're just sick. Everybody's got the little flu. So a day into it, I'm like, well, maybe we should just test. And I tested negative, but the point was a year ago, if you had a sniffle, the first thing somebody did was, well, get a COVID test. Now, well, yeah, it's kind of an afterthought. So I think those are a lot of the things going against the market right now, and it's making people nervous. The problem is, and I had a client say something to me about this this morning, a friend of mine went to cash. That's great. He goes, it seems like that's the right move. I'm like, well, yeah, when's he getting back in? And he just went quiet for a second. He goes, well, I don't know. I said, exactly. Neither does he. He might be in exactly the same spot when he gets back in the market. So he went to cash last week. He missed out on two days of bad markets. It could have went exactly the other way. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely could. And we did a workshop last week talking just about trying to time the market. It's virtually impossible. Sure. Can you get lucky? But timing the market isn't just getting out. That's the easy thing to do. Getting out's easy. Hit the button, you get out. It's when you're going to have enough conviction to get back in. And what are you going to do if the market goes up 20% in the next three weeks? I'm not saying it's going to, are you going to actually get back in? Because how the market really works, Elias, it makes it hard to get back in when it's time to get back in. Cause you see yeah. the market go up 3%. You're like, I'm not going to buy today. And then it goes up one. Well, I'm not going to buy today. I'm gonna wait for it to pull back a little bit. Now it's up five more percent. 
I'm not getting in. It's going to go back 10. And next thing you know, you're buying in a worse place. That's how it works. The market doesn't make it easy to get out. It doesn't make it easy to get in. So I have a few thoughts and things that have been on my, on my mind, things I've been talking about with clients, with people in general. So the last bear market was the COVID bear market. It was very fast. It was so quick. No one really even had time to start to feel bad. And now to me, this is now, this is more of a real bear market where it's more grinding and we very well could just be at the beginning. I think we're only five months into the year. I think that's actually really good insight. So let's roll back to COVID 2020 started in March, April, May by June accounts were already coming back. It bottomed like in April, early May at 18,000 in the Dow. They started to come back. Well, clients have now got a negative January statement, a negative February statement and a slightly positive March statement. And then April was down like 8%. So we're grinding along. I just reminded a client I was on the phone with earlier, the average bear market. So from the time it starts to the time it goes down and gets back is 449 days, so a little over a year. We should expect some level of pain along the way. And typically in bear markets, it's not straight down, straight back up. There's volatility, right? It goes down, then there's a little relief relief rally, goes down again, relief rally, down again. And we had, we had that relief rally, I think it was February or March. We had a pretty good rally. It oh, was it, it was March, because March was actually positive, the only yeah. positive month so far. Fed decision day, The mar- what'd the market do? Went up three percent. Yeah, three massive head fake. Gave yep. it all back the next day, and just we. This is the three worst days in a long time, as long as I can remember. Yeah. So, a few other things for and there. There's a certain there's certain investors. A couple things. One, if you're retired, you should have a distribution strategy, right? We talk about all the, that all the time. If you are still working. And so that's the majority of people younger than 55 years old. But maybe just to be fair, I'll say under, if you're under 50 and accumulating in a 401k and you were excited to buy stocks at the all-time highs, you should be extra excited to buy stocks in a bear market. And this really is such, I just, I, I don't want to be mean, but it's like, I don't have time to talk to about how the market's going down and you want to go to cash keep buying. If you were going to buy at 4,800, why, why aren't you going to buy at 4,000? That's just the good investor behavior we're giving people now. Is that easy to do? No, that's hard investor behavior to do. I mean, you think psychologically about how that works. You're telling the person to buy into the market downturn, but it's what works. I forever used to joke about this. So I don't even know if the store exists anymore. Do you ever remember going to Kmart? Yes. Yeah, there was a Kmart in one of the towns I grew up in. Yeah. Well, I grew up shopping at Kmart, and now I shop at Von Mauer. Just the progression of life, probably. You're definitely a Kmart shopper. I can see that. But listen, <laughs> if the Peter Millar shirt that I liked at Von Mauer all of a sudden is over at Kmart, and that big blue light's flashing around. You remember the blue lights had flash around? Yeah. The Kmart blue light special? Yeah. I'm buying. And maybe it's not quite the blue light special like point of view yet, 
but eventually it might get there. If you liked the stock, if you liked Apple, any company, if you liked it when it was $170 a share, why don't you like it today? Is it different? No. Are the growth multiples less because interest rates have risen? Yeah, okay. Do you think anybody's, anybody is giving up their iPhone, their MacBook, their Apple services, their Apple Music, Apple CarPlay, all the things that have integrated Apple into your life? And this is not, this isn't a recommendation of Apple. It's just any company that ingrains into your life like that. Are they going anywhere? Probably not anywhere soon. Netflix. Look at the chart of Netflix. It's like Mount Everest. I mean, seriously, you go look at it. Well, people are still going to use Netflix. So at some point, you may see this as an opportunity to buy something. I think there's some good takeaways that people should think of because right now the markets are unsettling in general. I mean, it doesn't really matter who you are. It met whether it's me as an investment advisor or average person working at whatever company or CEO of whatever big company. It doesn't matter. Everybody has a level of uneasiness about what's going on with the markets, the economy, and what's going to happen going forward. And I think one of the reasons as investors, we become poor investors because we don't have the facts of what actually happens in markets. So I'm going to throw this out there. And I may have talked about this on a previous episode, but since 1926 through 2021, 22 is unknown. The stock market has only been down over 20% six different times. Six times since how long? 1926. So you got 95 years. Yep. If you ask most people who didn't see this chart, they think the stock market's going down 20% all the time. All the time. Yeah, that's just right. That's just a lack of having the right information because that's not even close to the truth. This is a better statistic. Do you know how many times, Elias, the stock market's finished above 20% in that same time period? Since 1926? Yep. Finished above 20%? Yep. I don't know. 20% or greater. 26 15, times. 15, oh, okay. 26 times. And I don't have the number on here, but I'd like to go back to the minus 20 years and see what year followed it up. Like, what was the percentage return the following year? I'm going to get it for the next show. But most of the time, the stock market is finished positive on the year. Most of the time. Doesn't mean every year. Another telling chart. I pulled this out at a workshop I did the other night. The five worst starts to the year. We're number two now. Okay, we were number four when this chart came out. I'm looking at, we're now number two. So worst start since 1939. Ouch. We're down 20. As of today, the S&P intraday market went down 20%. So technically, intraday, we're in a bear market. NASDAQ's down 26. Of the worst starts, actually 1935, I take that back, 1939. Out of the five, we're one of the five. Four of the five have finished the year positive. So we're in the top five for worst starts ever. Four or and five. out of those top five times, four times the market finished positive. And then this year's the unknown. So there's actually right. on the five worst starts to the stock market. After day 50, I don't know further in, this is through day 50. 
okay, which is when this chart came out. This is put out by Calamus Investments. Um, think about that, four or five. It could be worse. I don't know, but if we finish positive, I think people would be shocked. Well, yeah, yeah, I think people, well, I personally wouldn't be shocked if we did, but I'm not saying that's going to happen. But yeah, I think like right now, if you ask people, hey, do you think the market's going to finish positive this year? Absolutely not. I, there's no way most people would say, no, there's no way that can happen. If you ask me for my prediction today, and I don't predict, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think it would be positive. But I'm going to give you another thing I would, would have told you the market wouldn't finish, finish positive. COVID. March of 2020, when the market was down 30 plus percent. If in May you would have asked me if the market will finish positive, I would have said no way. That that is what everyone around our office. That's what we were saying. That's the, that was the talk. The I remember positive calendar return for 2020 was positive 16 percent. I'm not sure we have the wherewithal in the market today to do that. I mean, that was such a freak event. But either way, I think you, you start to look at the statistical averages and at some point the market's going to go up again. This is just gravity. What goes up will come down and it'll go back up again at some point in the future. A couple other things I noticed and you're going to get a kick out of this. So 2020, we we started seeing the rise of the day trader again. Classical investing's over. Warren Buffett, he's a deadbeat. It's done. He's an old hack. As of today, this is an index that I think ran by Goldman Sachs. This is the headline on Bloomberg News today. Day Trader Army loses all the money it made during the so-called uh, Day Trader Rally. So, And that, that's meme stocks. All these stocks that people thought were going to be easy. It's easy to make money. It's not the case. Long-term investing trends typically went out. And this is the great example. What they did, what day traders did, some day trader can go to my website and send me a nasty year. I don't care because you're not going to win. We thought day traders going to be all the craze in 2000, 2001. We're all going to be out of a job because everybody's going to be a day trader. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> People need us more than ever today. Same thing happened with this last melt up. But think about what happened. The day trader basically went into the casino at the right time. It's no different than the person listening to the show going down to Riverside today, putting $100 in the $25, $25 slot machine, first pull hitting the jackpot. Yeah. The longer they played, they lose. They, they revert, to the, revert to the mean average. So they got lucky. You don't get lucky forever. It's not easy. Do you remember doing the TikTok thing where the guy's like, let me show you how to take $100 and turn it into a million? Yeah, in a year. But it was like compound your money by 25% a day. Where? Well, who does that? Yeah, where? And it all started with the diamond hands. Well, I wonder if they all have diamond hands today. No. Are they all not selling? Guess what else is melting down? What? Bitcoin. Hit 32000 yeah. before I came into the show. I don't know where, it, where it's at today. People now, all, short, all risk assets, basically short term traders in Bitcoin are all at a net loss. There's people that bought in at 66,000. And what's interesting, I was listening to CNBC before I walked in. Retail investors still believe. They still believe that Bitcoin's going up. But guess who's losing confidence? 
And Bitcoin? Institutional investors. That's well, and that's, pro- that's, that's a probably problem. a lot bigger money than uh, retail. But well, well, yeah. Think about what the speculation was. Well, if every single company out there started allocating their free cash, this was a talk like a year ago. I remember. If we took all these large corporations and they just started allocating one percent to of their cash to Bitcoin, it would cause the price of Bitcoin to do what? I think the price target. Yeah, I remember reading some targets like four hundred thousand if every corporation did it and. Apparently they're not. I'm not saying Bitcoin won't be good in the future, but it's a risk asset. It's not a guaranteed winner. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, last week or a couple weeks ago was the Berkshire shareholder meeting, which is a pretty big event for everybody. And we know what Warren Buffett's take is on um, what Warren Buffett's take on Bitcoin is. Yeah, he said, you could offer me all the Bitcoin in the world for $25 and I would not buy it. Yeah, here's I don't share that same sentiment because for 25 bucks I would, but. Right now you would. Yeah. Because you could sell it for more, but in the future you don't know. Right. And I'm not speculating on the price, but a couple of the key takeaways, and this is on our outline here. Charlie Munger described Bitcoin as a mania of speculation. Well, it probably is speculation to some level. It clearly is because the the mass adoption of bitcoin utility isn't there yet and i know i'm going to get an angry gram from somebody but you still can't take bitcoin down to the shopping center and unless you're storing on cold storage if you go buy go trade on coinbase once see how expensive that is you know not only do they have a not only does coinbase have a commission you pay they mark or mark down the price so it might be trading at thirty nine thousand dollars and you go enter a trade and you're paying your 2% commission, whatever it is, but then you're actually buying it at 39,500 too. Well, and the reality of it is that he, Charlie Munger calls it a mania of speculation. Well, what is the utility of Bitcoin? It doesn't produce product, doesn't create revenue. It does transition wealth. It's narrative driven. So it's similar to gold where it's just mainly narrative driven based on the value. So it is a speculative asset. There's nothing. It's not a company. If you buy a stock of a company, you now own a stock of something that produces products for society, generates revenue and cash flow. Bitcoin doesn't do any of those things. You mean you to say that it's something to say that it's nothing that has value that's not unfair to say. Um, I think there's plenty of Bitcoiners that it's probably always going to be around. Um, and someone the other day, I was having a conversation about Bitcoin and they know a lot, a lot more than I know about it, but they could tell that I at least have a level of understanding of Bitcoin and how it works. And they asked, so are you a buyer? And I just said, no, it's, it's too speculative for me. It does not fit. It just doesn't fit my investing um, my bill, I guess, or my, uh, investing profile, whatever you want to call it. It's just not for me. And I don't have any Bitcoin could go to a million. Will I feel foolish if I miss out on that? Maybe, but I've already decided I'm going to live with it if that happens. Cause it's just a speculative asset. Well, the question is, it was always opportunity cost because do you actually have 
you know, the question is, are you willing to put 40, 32,000 into Bitcoin for it to go to a million? Or do you put a thousand dollars in it like most people or 500 or some smaller amount? And it won't even be a meaningful increase anyway. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's I funny. Think I just had think, that. Yeah. Think about this. People still think they're going to be the Bitcoin millionaire, like the family who bought it at nine hundred dollars a share. You know, you see this thing about the family that bought all this Bitcoin at nine hundred dollars. They bought it for one hundred or two hundred or five hundred, whatever it is. Well, that's over. Yeah, that time is come and gone. That's over unless you think Bitcoin is going to be Bitcoin's going to be worth ten million dollars a coin. Like, see ya. That's gone. Yeah. So I just watched a um, it was a video on YouTube of how to invest in a Bitcoin bear market. So I thought, OK, this will be interesting. See how it relates to investing in stocks from this person's perspective. And they're talking about like dollar cost averaging and things that are relatable to the stock market. But then they used examples of what your gains could be. But every example was if you bought at the low and then sold at the high, what your gain would be. So basically it was a presentation on if you can perfectly time the Bitcoin market, this this will be your results. Which won't ever happen. No, no. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No one's going to be able to time that market either. So I, one thing I always remember about Warren Buffett, he had this famous saying, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And right now, most people are fearful. And what are they? They're being opportunistic. In fact, um, at their shareholder meeting, they said that market volatility and speculative behavior presents them an opportunity. You think about that there, instead of them being so scared about what's happening, they're saying, how do we, how do we find opportunity? And it goes back to one of the rules of investing. Don't let emotions run what's going on. They don't become emotional about this. They are purely looking for what they believe are the good entry points. They're not looking for the exit points. What are the entry points for us to buy a long-term investment? Back to your point, if you're a 401k investor, up your, up your contribution today. Increase or maybe, it right now. Or maybe, maybe you're gonna do a Roth conversion. I don't know, maybe you'd do it today. Maybe you do the conversion and move this taxable dollar amount you're gonna do for the year into the tax-free space. And if we happen to get a market that finishes positive by the end of the year, like the four other times like this year, you just had a 20 or 25% tax-free return on that investment. Yeah, and speaking of um, of Buffett, some of the things you were just talking about because they're, they're buying stocks right now. So another investing podcast that I listened to, they were talking about how much Apple that they're purchasing and so the guy made the comment. He goes, so basically, if you if you were a seller of Apple the last couple months, there's a very good chance that Berkshire Hathaway bought those shares. So think about that. Like if you're a retail investor, you're selling and arguably some of the greatest investors of all time are buying. You you might be on the you might be on the wrong side of that. Maybe you should be buying more. Well. Think about this, Elias. The short, the short sellers in the meme stock craze. Who did they think they were screwing or, you know, pulling a fast one on? Oh, they were going to take it to the hedge funds. To the hedge funds. What's well, the average hedge fund return year to date? I have no idea what it is, but there's a lot of volatility, so they're probably doing pretty good. Citadel. 
one of the largest hedge funds in America. This is through um, seven days ago. So through May, they have a positive 13% rate of return. Who's winning? Citadel. Yeah. The short, the short sellers, and we're going to stick it to the hedge funds. They might have won for a short period of time. But long term, good investor behavior is going to win. It doesn't matter if you're a hedge fund or if you're, you know, the every everyday normal investor. It doesn't matter. If you exhibit good investor behavior, eventually you revert to the mean. I think about fantasy baseball. Remember I played fantasy baseball a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. And I was, full disclosure, I love baseball. I don't watch much baseball, but I was really good at fantasy baseball because I didn't ever look at the players. I only looked at statistics and statistical averages. Moneyball, you're the moneyball. I'm not that good at it, but I had a friend of mine who's been doing this for like 10 years. And my first year in the league, I got second. My second year, I won the thing. He goes, how are you doing this? I said, well, here's the deal. Everybody gets emotional because Josh Donaldson started off the first 60 days batting 0.093 0.093 when he's a career 300 hitter with 30 home runs. I'll just go buy him for pennies on the market, pennies on the dollar in the market. If I lose out, I lose out. Big deal. But that's why I, did. I just assembled these great teams, but it was all because I was trying to find the people that were now considered undervalued versus their historical performance. And did they all turn out to be superstars? No, but did they revert back to their normal historical averages? Absolutely. Think about it. If you have a career 300 hitter and 20 home run guy, and he's hitting halfway through the season 221 with six homers, what's he have to do the last half of the year to get back to his career averages? Have a pretty good. He's got to hit like 370 and 15 or 16 homers. That's a pretty good second half. This is no different. If we get back to historical averages, you know, sometimes we're above, sometimes we're below. But I thought that was interesting when I saw this uh, hedge fund article. This was on on CNBC. And I thought about it. I'm like, man, all the short sellers thought they were sticking to the hedge funds. But guess who's really winning long term? The hedge funds. The hedge are. funds. We, we said that on this show. We said this is a short term thing that's just you're not going to go against the hedge funds being a bunch of retail investors. You, you don't even have enough money to do it. Do you know what we did? We made a prediction and we waited long enough and guess what happened? And then we were right. We were right. Now that we've turned into the predicting game and you reminded me, Elias, that going into this year, we actually predicted a higher level of volatility. Now, the reason for it wasn't necessarily why and what's happening today, but we we predicted there would be higher volatility strictly due to the fact that in years where there's a midterm election, there's a spike in volatility. And this year, we've just happened to have inflation, Russia, COVID resurgence, and midterm elections all kind of piling in at one time. That, and that is what's happened. It's just piling on. But I think even if you look at our look at our shows back in January, we were setting expectations. I think all year we've been setting expectations um, with clients that this year is probably going to be a volatile year. And yeah, the basis of it for me at the beginning of the year was the capital group put out a, a chart with a, a lot of data behind it. So I read it and I thought, well, this would be a good thing to talk with people because markets are at all time high. So let's start setting some realistic expectations for the year. And then it's just since then, it's just like you said, it's just piled on and and gotten worse. And but, you know, it doesn't change the fact 
that if you're controlling the things you can control, there's opportunities right now. So continuing to buy, um, if you're older, you're on a distribution strategy, if you're already doing Roth conversions, there's things that you can still control outside of what the market is doing to set yourself up for long-term success going forward. I, I, I do believe that. One of the questions I've been getting a bunch, how do you, how do you get a defense against inflation? How do you defense against it? And I look back at, this is another thing out of the, out of the Berkshire Hathaway meeting and Warren Buffett made a good point. Can't predict inflation. We don't know what's going to happen with inflation. If we did, everybody would have made the right moves 18 months ago. Correct. They predicted inflation was transitory. Well, now they're saying it's not transitory. Well, maybe it still is transitory. We don't know. He said the number one way to protect against inflation is your own personal earning power. Think about that. What he's basically saying is no one can take that away from you. Your ability to earn money is how you protect against inflation. Because typically in times of inflation, wages go up. If you can earn more, that's awesome. And the other thing he's saying is you're only worried about what you can control. We don't necessarily always believe we can control what we earn, but we can to an extent. We can, but and we can all focus on the things we can control if right. you define them and you stay focused on that. Well, you can control what you earn. Maybe your primary job pays X, but you could go earn more money. There's all the the gig economy, part-time jobs, all these other things. And think about if a person said, you know, instead of me being concerned about the stock market, I'm going to be concerned about how much I earn. And because the stock market is down, I'm going to get a job delivering pizzas or driving an Uber or doing Uber Eats. And I'm going to plow all that money into the thing that I can't control because it's down in value, which is the stock market. How would that person turn out in 20 or 30 years? The answer is, I don't know. My guess is probably pretty darn good. There's a high probability it'll turn out very good. And the lower, I just heard someone the other day say the lower, the lower the market goes, so the lower stocks go, the higher future potential returns could be. So just another to highlight, it's a, it's a buying opportunity is really what it is. At some point. Could be today. Could be in 30 days. Yeah, I guess I'm talking more of like people like me where I'm just investing Doesn't like matter. every time I get a paycheck. Absolutely. I just have money going out systematically every time. If you were my client and you were sitting there, I'd just say, well, how old are you? You're 35. Your time horizon's like 60 years. I think the market will do well over 60 years. Just buy. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, but I would I, I think, think it yeah. will. That would be my long term perception. Um, with that said though, one of the ways that people can become less emotional is to have a financial plan. You can go to btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to help you get one. Uh, click get started. We'll reach out and get get a financial plan going for you with that. Said Elias, appreciate having you on the show today. Fun show. We got to kind of talk about all the things in the past. I'm happy that you told me that we're now predictors and we were finally right. And maybe we'll keep predicting in the future. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know that we'll stay in the prediction game. But so this year, this year we've done a good job being right. Well, I knew we'd be right eventually. I just didn't know when. That's like true. Like most people that predict. So with that said, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC.
The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.